This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. It's rare that I'll disclose to Shag my agenda for how I want to start a Spooko episode, but I have, and I also sent just a cheeky little text message ahead to be like, don't forget, I'm throwing you under the bus on this point. You are here on Spooko. It is a horror film podcast. I'm too scared, but I'm getting braver. Shag's very brave, but we often just talk about weird stuff at the start of each episode. Can I ask, why did you feel like you had to remind me and prep me for this? It's just not your behavior, Peach. Like we've, this is episode 221, and I can count on one hand the amount of times you've set up with me beforehand what you'd like to speak about. I don't know. I'm just in. I'm in execution mode, Jack. I'm executing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so I'm back on my bullshit. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to come to is someone, someone, and possibly two people, but certainly at least one person who's not back on their bullshit, and that's Stormzy. So if I can just sort of background a little bit, Big Mike, Big Michael, whatever he calls himself. Like, I've forgotten all the nicknames. Hashtag Murky 2016. <laughs> when we recorded Fussy Eater like six or seven years ago, eight years ago, Stormzy was a really exciting young rapper. And I remember I contrasted him alongside Ed Sheeran of like, there are pop musicians coming out of England like Ed Sheeran. And there are exciting sort of people who are driving the scene coming out of England like Stormzy. And this was probably after Where Do You Know Me From and before Shut Up and before Scary, just like when Stormzy was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty interesting stuff. Um, And Stormzy really had a moment. My knowledge of Stormzy was, you know, reasonable for sort of three or four years there. Um, Shag, I know you like me getting into weird public confrontation stories. I've even got one of them that involves Stormzy. Um, you, You know, and so Stormzy really surfed the zeitgeist there for a considerable time. And... Shaggy fell the fuck off for reasons that are not especially clear to me. So the sort of text message I've chased you about is that <laughs> I've had a look through the This Is Stormzy playlist on Spotify and I've got some thoughts of my own. And I was just hoping you, because you're so in touch and I, I can't deliver this in a way that doesn't sound ironic. There are few people as genuinely in touch with pop culture going around as you and where the music and pop culture crossover is. I'd love to get an understanding of Stormzy's evolution from sort of being an exciting up-and-comer into a genuine, like, worldwide rap star into a who-gives-a-shit sort of character that he seems to be now, how that happened. The other rapper we might forget to talk about is Chance the Rapper. I just wanted to float. I feel like Chance is on a similar journey. But but could, could I press you for just your kind of preliminary thoughts on Stormzy's fall? I've, I've been thinking about this, right? Mm. And Are the texts help? The, te- <laughs> the text actually really did help. I've been thinking about it because of the text. I wouldn't have if not for the text. <laughs> but I think you are tapping into something real, which is Stormzy, the British rapper, who you probably know either because of Shut Up, his original viral hit, Vossy Bop, his arguably biggest solo single, and Clash, his appearance on Dave's uh, 2021 record. 
Where do you know him from? Where do you know him from? So... Shag, that's a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Stormzy song. So, so it does... I Like, I get, I get that it feels like he's fell off. Mm. But yes. I, I want to put it to you that I think Stormzy... Mm blew up big enough <gasps> that he will never properly fall off. He was just here in Australia headlining a minor-ish festival called mm. Laneway, which one of our guests, in fact, uh, Ruby Miles, who's been on the show Ruby. a couple of times, mm. is one of the bookers of that festival. And he headlined the festival and he commanded like a pretty big crowd who knew a lot of his music. And then I saw his set list and he definitely did play some new tracks. He definitely focused mostly on the record that Vossi Bop was from, which is like maybe 2018. No, maybe it's 2020. Uh, 20, 2017, 20, I think. Yeah. No, Vossi Bop's, I think, a bit later. I think that's... Oh, Shaggy. Like, you know I've got the playlist in front of me. Yeah. I'm going 2017. Okay, you're going no, 2020. I think it's maybe like 2020, maybe. I know. You've already gone 2020. I'm going 2017. I thought it was the Gang Signs and Prayer. No, it's record. the album after that. Uh, twenty nineteen. You are right. Heavy as the head, heavy Peach. The head. Yeah, it's yeah. a good shut up to to Peach. Yeah. So he sort of focused heavily on songs from his two thousand nineteen record, and I get. Yeah, that's that's five years ago, and I think in the mm. grand scheme of things, for an artist to be still headlining a festival, playing songs from an album that's only five years old, is not necessarily falling off but what i think is what i was trying to pinpoint is like why does he feel Mm. like he's fallen off he hasn't had a hit that broke out of his core and peripheral fan base since clash with dave so he hasn't had a zeitgeisty hit since 2021 if we linger right Clash is that extremely boring song that I still just can't unpick. I can't undo. That's the Jordan 3's and Jordan Oh, ones. no, it's so My good, watch, Peach. Peach, you one. just have to... Got to fucking watch more than one. But... Shaq, I've heard it being played out of cars with car windows down by, like, scary-looking dudes. I was like, this is the perfect time to hear this song. And just, <laughs> I feel nothing. It gives me nothing. Can I, can like, I, can Clash, I... Like, uh, objection, yes. Your Honour. Can I... Can, <laughs> yes, yes. Can I offer a piece of evidence... <laughs> Um, if mm. the court will allow it. Mm-hmm. You, you can offer more than one. <laughs> so Stormzy has a perfect line in his verse on that song, and he arguably makes the song. Like, I like Dave's chorus, but Dave has better songs, whereas Stormzy has a real sort of I-need-to-prove-myself energy to that verse. And he has that mm. perfect flex, which isn't like a like a Drake flex where it's impo- like who who else could know what an expensive and cheap version of a private jet is, right? It's not that level. Yes. It's a level down that feels still achievable, but it still feels like the coolest flex where he talks about his girl and he's like, she said she wants to go to the cinema, so we just went downstairs. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> yes! And that is the sort of Stormzy line. That's the sort of reason why we still love Stormzy, even though he hasn't really had a zeitgeisty hit in maybe four years. And I think that's why it feels like he's fallen off. Can I can I can I pick apart the falling off then? So so let's say a falling off in Peach's imagination, and it probably doesn't help that I still find Clash boring, <laughs> no matter how many times I try to listen to it. Um I was like, all right, well, then, like, what does the culture define Stormzy as? Like, what does an algorithm tell me Stormzy is? And so you go to Spotify, you go to the This Is Stormzy playlist, and they're always a bit shit, but I do sort of trust that they're based on something. I don't know if they're based on on an algorithm specifically or on numbers or on, you know, songs that people put forward or what they're based on. But I sort of thought of it as a useful 
um, gauge for what Spotify reckons a Stormzy listener or someone trying to get into Stormzy is going to try to listen to. It is all very, like, Stormzy's career now feels like very 2011 wheezy when he's fresh out of jail and just appearing on fucking any old trash. Like, when he's appearing on a David David Guetta song and then when he's appearing on all these sorts of weird singles that I've got, like, on CDs under our house that I was sent to review for Drum Media. And it was just this era of, like, disposable wheezy that it feels like Stormzy's been in for like three or four years. Do you know this guy, John Bellion? Is he anyone? <laughs> no, no. But also, can I say that like Lil Wayne has had not one, but two songs with Titty Boy, aka what's Titty Boy's real? Like, what's his name? Who's that? Who's that rapper that he's had two albums with? It's called like Coldale or Colville or something. You know, I'm going to look. Why this do I know those? Oh, it's two chains. Two chains. Fucking Lil yeah. Wayne has had two albums with two chains mm. since he, I guess, fell off from where he was, and yet Lil Wayne mm. can never fall off. And yet, mm. who under the age of 40 in 2024 is listening name to... one Lil Wayne song. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> but he can never fall off. And I think Storms is at that level where it's like, it kind of doesn't matter what happens from here. All I've got to read back to you is what I now realise is a very adolescent view, right? And that very adolescent view is, I like your old stuff better than your new stuff. Slash another very adolescent view of like, oh, you don't rap about tough guy stuff anymore. You rap too much about girls, blah. <laughs> which you'll which you'll remember was every criticism of Drake up to. If you're reading this, it's too late. Came out. <laughs> um, but like, if you think of one of the better like brag stormsy moments from the past sort of eighteen months, two years, it's probably Mel made me do it, which is like that seven or eight minute. Just sort of just rolling oh. flex. Like it would be perfect if it wasn't ten minutes long. I, I almost love that. Like there's something like there's a message in that of like yeah, like I'm here, and there's that like that threat during the Pusher and Drake beef of like, mate, you like you don't want to come to the Alamo when I'm in album mode of like I'm just writing like and to, like to, like there's that element listening to Mel maybe do it of Stormzy's just here and he's just gonna rap like forever and this is a ten minute song and it could have been a fifty minute song and he'll just keep rapping at you. But there's just this element where I feel like this guy who had this huge moment in pop culture fell off for some reason. And so, Shag, I think you've explained Stormzy. We really need to get into the horror films pretty soon on the horror podcast. <laughs> Do you have any chance thoughts? Like, what was the festival in Australia chance played? Like, sort of tw- nine months, ten oh, months? Oh, no, months no, ago. no, no. It's even worse than that. It's even worse than that. Oh. Chance came out to the inaugural Sydney South by Southwest to be interviewed on the 50th anniversary of hip-hop and just give his reflections. And then I think he showed up at a nightclub somewhere where one of the DJs had the instrumentals to maybe four or five songs from the Coloring Book mixtape and, and, he, book, and yeah. he wrapped them in a club. And I think that's that's the most recent time we've seen Chance the Rapper here in Australia. But at the same time, it's like I also don't think... Chance the Rapper can ever, ever truly fall off. Yeah, he had an album that everyone pretty much hated and he proceeded, like it was this weird rollout where he released four perfect songs and you were like, this album's going to be amazing and all of the sort of pre-album non-singles that he released were better than any single song on the album. It was just, it was a weird time. You know, it, it probably speaks to the importance of curation and having a good team around you to be like, hey, 
you should know what is good and what's not. <laughs> you know, like there's there's many lessons to learn from it. But even then, even then, I don't think Chance can <clears throat> ever fall off because he hit a height that is kind of hard to come back from. And so, Shag, that means that the premise of this discussion, which is Shag, tell me about Stormzy and Chance falling off, is sort of undermined. This is almost like we're having a definition debate, like it's a year four debating class. And you're like, well, actually, the fundamental premise of the question is wrong. And so we're all learning more stuff, Shag. You're like, you're holding our hands and solving the definition. I think what this proves more than anything, you know, in, Mm. (laughs) in, in relation to Stormzy and Chance the Rapper and Lil Wayne and all these other people who it feels like they fell off but can never really fall off is not every Mm. Spooko episode can be a hit. Not every Spooko episode. But we can never fall no. off. <laughs> well, no. If we, yeah, I, I think, I think my point is, it's like, uh, and and mm. I'm I'm getting to the film we we're covering today. So mm. sometimes the regularity of Spooko can be difficult for the two of us. And it's easier for me. I just show up on a Zoom. It's, call. it's actually yeah. so much easier for you. <laughs> but for me, sometimes if I. If it gets to say Tuesday night, like it did last night, and mm. I haven't seen a film recently that I want to cover, I can't think of mm. one that I want to cover. I don't have time mm. to watch a horror film, and mm. we're recording the next day. It becomes mm. it becomes really really difficult, right? It becomes a thing where it's like, how do I do this show? And you know, for us, it's it's not an option not to do an episode. No, absolutely not. So so this is one of those things where it's like you realize that. Not every episode has to be. I don't even know how to say it. Like I'm being like, like do li- do keep listening to this episode, but it's like <laughs> not every episode can be gold, but every episode will be there, I guess. Or like every episode is part mm. of a journey we're on, I guess. Yes, and that's kind of that's kind of the gold doesn't exist without the like dirt and shit around it. It's good. <laughs> gold doesn't exist <laughs> without dirt. It's the old the the old saying. But but okay, so 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 let me let me take you through my train of thought that led me to this film. So Yes. I'm telling a bit of a fib when I say I haven't seen anything recently that I want to talk about. I have, but it's a TV show. So recently uh-huh. I finished watching the A twenty four Showtime co production TV show, The Curse, which starts okay. out feeling like a classic fuck capitalism, eat the rich, millennial suck yes. sort of satire. But by the final episode, Mm. turns into a pretty convincing contemporary horror narrative. And in fact, the final episode might be one of the most disturbing things I've seen in years. And I can't wait. I can't, like, it is so feel bad club that I want to cover it. But covering a TV show is difficult. And. I'd need to do it in multiple parts. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do a whole series at once because it would be really difficult properly to cover and it wouldn't give that TV experience. So I started thinking about should we cover this? And at the same time, I got a message from someone on our Insta saying, Hey, have you guys ever covered the one of the Chucky sequels where he has a kid? It's insane. We'd love to, you, I'd love you to cover that. Mm. And it, it got me thinking about the whole Chucky verse. Yes. Often on Spooko, we'll choose one film from a series, or maybe two, but we won't do the entire series. And mm. the Chucky series is so weird, and 
it's kind of hard to just cover Seed of Chucky without doing Bride of Chucky before that, but without doing the Chucky sequels before that. Like, we've done yes. Child's Play, but we haven't done that. So I then was like, okay, well, there's two interesting series we could do in 2024. Which ones do we do? Mm. I put it to Instagram. Of course, it was unhelpful because everyone wants us to. Well, like it was pretty much equal. So I think we'll probably. <laughs> I think we'll probably do both this year. That's still helpful for our egos that people are keen. It's. <laughs> you should probably have a vote. It's helpful in a broad sense. Yeah, but you should probably have a vote too. So, Peach, which one are you more excited to hear about, the Chucky verse or the Curse? Uh I'm actually curious about the Curse because it's not one that's sort of got under my skin and I'm not really aware of. And I feel like the Chucky verse is kind of an inevitability. And also, I just sort of get it. Like in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, look, it's Chucky. He has some sex. And there's a key. Like, I do have a tiny edge of like, I'm pretty sure I know what it's about. <laughs> um, the curse I know much less about and have much more curiosity for. Well, look, we'll do the, we'll do the both this year. But nice. to continue the train of thought, it got to mm. sort of late last night. And I was thinking, mm. well, do I debut one of these series today? But I wanted to have a bit more prep. And I was like, I don't have any time to prep. But I started thinking about the Chuckyverse. And I started thinking about these sequel series. Mm. And then I started thinking about some of the other films we've covered where we haven't really explored the entire series. Now, one we have is Halloween. We've gone deep into Halloween. Yes. But we've never gone deep into Friday the 13th. We've yes. never proper. Have we even done the first one? I think we. Is that the one with. Jason? No, so Jason Voorhees, but we've done the first one because, in fact, Jason Voorhees isn't even the bad guy in the first one. So It's the mum. The mum is the bad guy, but he appears at the very end dragging someone out of a boat from Camp Crystal Lake. So I started investigating this series, and turns out everyone loves the fourth installment. It's got Crispin Glover doing a dance in it. Apparently it's amazing. But I was like, again... How do we even get, like, we can't just go there. Like, it doesn't make sense. And so I realized what we actually have to do is cover Friday the 13th Part 2 because it's the first film in the series where Jason Voorhees becomes the main antagonist. But also, it's an example of, fuck, like, you know, and, and I'll get into this after you've seen the trailer, but sometimes mm. it can't, sometimes you don't have the luxury of just making a hit Sometimes you just have to make something. So today, Peach, we are making something (laughs) by covering Friday the 13th, part two. Shag, that's a great meta execution. And you know I'm harsh on criticisms of meta executions. (laughs) That's an excellent one. This movie doesn't dab. It vossy bops. (laughs) On a June night... In 1980, Friday the 13th, 12 of her friends were murdered. Why should Friday the 13th, 1981, be any different? Friday the 13th, part two. The body count continues. 14.
19. Friday the 13th, as a film series, was originally meant to be Mm. an anthology series about Friday the 13th being a really spooky day. Yes. And then Friday the 13th Part 1 became this massive hit. And so immediately studios were like, we need to continue the franchise and you need to pump out a sequel quickly. This is where Halloween fucked itself, isn't it? For the first two... Yeah. It is, It is. but in the same way that it's not now like a footnote in history and Jason Voorhees is known forever, mm. this little step that, you know, might not be the best film ever is part of a, I guess, a legacy. <laughs> like, basically, Friday the 13th never really fell off. And it's thanks... Yes, I was going to say, can, <laughs> can Jason never fall he, off? He can't fall off because of the work they put in at the bottom. So, you know, in a roundabout way, like I keep saying, like I'm actually like, Peach, if I'm going to be really serious, I'm actually worried this is like a bottom tier episode already. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of explaining our way out of it. You're, like your instincts on this are very... Like your instincts on most cultural stuff is very strong once you've had time to reflect... <laughs> But your instincts on cultural output in the moment, Chag, I'll say, and I say this with great respect and love, they're often tied up with you holding yourself to an extremely high standard and you being concerned that you haven't met that very high standard in the moment. I, I say with great respect to you that if there's an analysis of how good this episode is to be done right now, I am to be trusted. If there's an analysis of it to be done afterwards, you may be trusted. But your view is less valid than mine and I say... We're fucking killing it <laughs> so far. This is one of my favourite ever episodes. Uh, and could we please do Freddy vs. Jason one day? I'm just very interested to see what that's about. Well, see, that's the thing, right? And mm. I really want to get to that film, and I really want to get to, like, Jason X and Jason Takes Manhattan, but I feel like I can't do that until we actually get to the film that introduces him as yes. the antagonist. We've got to eat our vegetables, Shag. Everyone here eating our vegetables together, then we can have our dessert in future weeks. Oh, my God. I have, that is the metaphor for this episode. We are eating mm-hmm. our vegetables. <laughs> okay, so this is Friday the 13th. After the first yes. one was a massive hit, the next year they put out a sequel in 1981, Friday the 13th Part 2. It has the coolest title sequence ever where it just it just shows Friday the 13th on the screen. Yes. That explodes and then a part two flies into the screen. Yes. <laughs> this is in the days before Final Cut Pro. This is exciting. <laughs> All right. So this is the 1981 slasher. So much going for it. It's 87 minutes long. Yes. And the first 15 minutes, I'm pretty sure, is this first paragraph. Like, it has an unusually slow start. So <clears throat> if you remember, at the yes. end of the last film... Alice Hardy realizes that it's not Jason Voorhees who's the bad guy, it's his mum. 
and she chops her head off. So we know she's dead. And then she goes out on a canoe. And then from the canoe, Jason's body from the bottom of the lake comes out and pulls her into the lake. And I think, I can't remember if it's a dream or not, but maybe it is a dream. Or maybe Mm. it's a dream in this one. I don't know what happens. Anyway, this film begins two months after the murders at Camp Crystal Lake uh, with Alice Harvey, who is recovering from a traumatic experience. Mm. The first 10, like, it might be 15, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe it's 10 minutes. But the first, I'm with you. But the first 10 minutes of this film is just her wandering around her apartment by herself. You know, she, she goes, she has a shower, she, uh, uh, like, in a non-exploitative way. Not that this isn't an exploitative film, but mm. she has, she just has a very functional shower. She's on the phone. She, you know, she just hangs out with a cat. But then... After, like, a long enough time has passed, so we're, like, lulled into a sense of security, she opens the refrigerator to get the cat some food, where she finds the severed head of Pamela Voorhees, Jason's mum. Yes. She screams. We cut to a side view of her head, where an unseen murderer sticks an ice pick into her temple. Yes. It's not even foreshadowing, Shag. It's the actual thing. We're in it. This is good stuff. So, five years later... Paul Mm. Holt opens a school for camp counsellors on the shore of Crystal Lake. Can I just pause there? Because I think that's a real challenge to go five years later. So, (laughs) Shaq, let's say you created and helped with the costuming and production design of a film set in 2024. (laughs) And then next year you had to work on the costuming and production design for a film set in 2029. (laughs) And so... (laughs) I just think that would be such a difficult challenge for you to have to say things are going to be pretty similar, but I'm going to have to try to check the pulse of culture to be like, man, no one will be wearing, everyone will be wearing flared trousers in 2029. Or, or like, it must give rise to peculiar challenges in creativity. Well, clearly they thought this through oh, good. and decided that 1986 would look a lot similar to 1981. <laughs> Except everyone's wearing hats. Like everyone's wearing backwards baseball caps. They're that's awesome. a really good point, though, because that's like going from Joy Division to New Order. Yes, well said. Like, it's massive, right? But if you were to predict 2029 in a faintly, like, realistic way, you'd be like, look, there's probably going to be a piece of technology that's not quite revolutionary, but sort of a real step forward what we've got now. What is that likely to be? And there'll be a weird clash of stuff that was cool in, like, 1985 mixed with stuff that was cool in 2013 or something like that. And so, like, you'll be wearing giant clumpy skate shoes mixed with, like, extremely tight emo jeans or something weird, like, some weird, like, (laughs) clash of ideas. Well, I keep thinking about what will Gen Z's and Gen Alpha's version of Rockabilly be? Because Rockabilly (laughs) is such a weird Gen X slash elder millennial thing where people just dress like it's it's the 50s right they dress like it's the 50s and the 60s they slick their hair with grease they wear like stovetop jeans like boots and they drive muscle cars but it's sort of become such a palimpsest in the real traditional way of the world like the word of like it's sort of painted over again over and over again on itself of like it's become very much about like tattoos and and Surely 15 years ago, you would have said rockabilly probably includes like Chuck Taylors, like Converse. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. But but today, I don't think we would associate that at all with rockabilly culture, despite the fact it's kind of meant to be a moment frozen in time. But I keep imagining people who like, because you can imagine, 
Mm. You know, if you lived through the 50s rock and roll era mm. and then you came to now and were like, there's all this amazing music now. What are you doing still listening to this? And, you know, styling your life like that. I keep thinking, like, would it be like new metal fans? And they don't do, like, swing oh. dancing. They, like, do moshing. And it's, you're the, right. Like the half bending. It's not, it's not quite <laughs> moshing. They're like, um, was it Papa Roach? Like, oh, I sort yeah. of bend in half. Like, that you sort of hinge at the hips. <laughs> he would, he would <laughs> hinge at the hips like a flip phone. Yeah, he's like yeah. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, yes. So, you're right, Pete. That's a really good point. I don't know how mm. they decided to just be like five years later. Because as far as I know, mm. the original Friday the 13th was set in the year it was made. So to go, you're right. That's wild. That is wild. Mm. Probably um, slightly more take up of electric vehicles, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, marginally more, like 30% more than currently. I mean, I think. Stormzy will be back. <laughs> Stormzy will be back. But I do think, Sorry. I do think, I mean, this is serious. Though. I do think somebody will need to do something about housing affordability. But, yes. <laughs> which, which I'm surprised they didn't consider in Friday the 13th part two. <laughs> Friday the 13th part even, two. even just with a, a side to be like, oh, wow, now that they've uh, done the first buyer's grant, it's actually, you know, <laughs> going to this school for summer camp counselors is actually not as stressful because I know that I'll be able to purchase a house yeah it's like it's so funny how after they increased the landlord tax to 100 (laughs) percent, how society really sort of calmed down and equality reigned it was awesome they really missed an opportunity here to like forecast the future (laughs) to make a point about a utopian future a utopian very near future (laughs) all right okay well this is probably why this film isn't the vossy bop of the friday the 13th franchise all right okay Uh, this one's more like let me just through the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Okay. <clears throat> this one's like the John Bellion collab. Yeah. So five years later, Paul Holt opens a school for camp counselors on the shore of Crystal Lake. Mm. The camp is attended Pre-climate by. Pre climate change. <laughs> <laughs> the camp is attended by Sandra, her boyfriend Jeff, Scott, Terry, Mark, Vicky, Ted, and Paul's assistant Ginny, as well as many other trainees. Do you want me to remember any of those names? Not I at suspect all. it's not important. Yeah, it doesn't okay. matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. Around the campfire that night, Paul tells the counselors the legend of Jason Voorhees, a boy who drowned at Camp Crystal Lake in 1957, sending his vengeful mother on two killing sprees in 1958 and 1979 until she was eventually killed by Alice Hardy in self-defense. According to the legend, Jason survived and is now living in the woods near Crystal Lake. Enraged at his mother's death, he will kill anyone he comes across. As Paul finishes the story, a man with a spear scares everyone, but it's revealed to be Ted wearing a mask. Paul reassures everyone that Jason is dead and that Camp Crystal Lake is now condemned and off-limits. That's great foreshadowing. I'm into it. That night, Crazy Ralph wanders onto the property to warn the group. (laughs) So Crazy Ralph is from the original, and he's that classic horror movie character who's like, don't go into the woods. There's bad shit in the woods. Oh, sorry. He 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 is on a mental health journey that does not include sanity as the way a 1980s <laughs> filmmaker would perceive it. Yes, I follow. <laughs> he's loopy. <laughs> yeah, nice. uh, so he's, he's basically Daffy Duck. Yeah, I'm there. Crazy Ralph wanders on the property to warn the group but is garroted from behind a tree Blech. by an unseen killer. I do feel like, as a culture, we've sort of failed in that we even have a word for garroted. 
<laughs> you know, just the fact that it's a thing that can happen. Yeah. That it's like, oh, this thing, yeah, we really need to, like, we're going to need to discuss this a lot, and so we're going to need to have a word for it. Yeah, it's kind of like strangling. It's like, mm, no, it happens a lot that it's not quite like strangling. Yeah, no, 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 not like strangling. <laughs> like, with a, like with a wire that sort of half slices them. It's, a, it's yeah, we need, we need a real word for it. The following day... Jeff and Sandra... Like vivisection. Why do we have a word for vivisection? Anyway, sorry. (laughs) The following day, Jeff and Sandra sneak off to Camp Crystal Lake and find a dog carcass before getting caught by Deputy Winslow and returning to the camp. Later, Winslow spots a man wearing a burlap sack mask running across the road. Winslow chases him into the woods and finds an abandoned shack. Now, this shack is, like, super scary, and it's clearly just made from bits of found metal and wood but it but it's also like quite like it's it's like one of those like tiny houses so it's that sort of shape it's well laid out but then inside it's filled with like rubbish and like rotting things and there's like a child's chair and it's all very creepy and while he's wandering around there the man in the burlap sack kills winslow with a hammer claw to the back of his head i'm sort of scanning this retelling for like, what gives birth to a legend in here? I'm like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. What about that is like, oh, fuck, like totally legendary. And and I don't want to be too critical, but I feel like I'm yet to get that moment of liftoff of like, oh, he what? Like, holy shit. So I'm looking for that legendary Jason Voorhees moment. I mean, this is what's so weird about this film, and, and we will keep going, mm. but your... Your... Spider sense? Your spidey sense is tingling mm. correctly. So back at camp, Paul offers the others one last night on the town before the training begins. <laughs> okay. Six stay behind, including Jeff and Sandra, who are forced to stay as punishment for sneaking off. At the bar, Ginny muses that if Jason was still alive and had witnessed his mother's death, it may have left him with no distinction between life and death or right and wrong. Which I'm kind of like, like, Maybe. I feel like there's an ethical duty, it's certainly true among psychs and therapists, of, like, you're not meant to diagnose a patient you haven't seen. It's why all psychs are like, I can't tell you that Donald (laughs) Trump's a raving fucking narcissist mad person because he's not my patient and I'm not allowed to do that. And I feel like there is that sort of ethics that I I don't think it's that cool to be like, (laughs) here's my views on how someone will be fucked up by that kind of event. Now, Paul, of course, dismisses the idea, proclaiming that Jason is nothing but an urban legend. Meanwhile, the assailant appears at the camp and kills the counsellors one by one. Scott has his throat slit with a machete while caught in a rope trap, and <clears> Terry <throat> is killed off-screen upon finding Scott's dead body. That's a frustrating death for, like, a slasher film. Yeah. Of, like, don't I come for the kills? Well, so, background to this film is <clears throat> that... This was in an era where too many kills would give you an X rating, which would effectively Uh, put you in very specific theatres. So they had to cut something like 48 seconds of footage to allow it to have an R rating. Yes, okay. It's like, oh, you'll never guess what happened to Julie. It was so intense. Well, it is kind of weird, right? So Mm. there, there really aren't too many super graphic death scenes as there are in the first one. Although, Terry and, you know... Kudos to this Wikipedia entry for not making a big deal about Terry needing a wheelchair to get around. 
Um, sorry, uh, kudos to this Wikipedia entry for not making a big deal about Mark needing a wheelchair to get around. Mm. Uh, but Mark is... Presumably know, Terry doesn't need one either. But yeah. <laughs> so, so Mark is at the... Mark is like waiting for one of the other counsellors who he's about to have sex with because the six who are left behind all sort of couple up and they're like, ooh, maybe we should go have sex. Mm. And so Mark is waiting for someone at the top of the stairs. He hears something. He turns around. A machete is slammed into his face and he falls down a flight of stairs and dies. The killer then moves upstairs, finds Jeff and Sandra having sex and impales them with a spear through both of them then stabs Vicky to death with a kitchen knife. Yes. All of these I'm kind of like, uh-huh, yep, yeah, yep. I mean, but you. You, you're right. Like, this is this is what you come to the slasher for. This is what you come to see Jason do. And he kind of does them all. They're, none of them are really iconic. But I also want to find out why he's got magic powers. Like, I feel like if you're going toe-to-toe with Freddy. Okay, so Ted stays behind at the bar while Ginny and Paul return to find the place in disarray. In mm. the dark, the killer ambushes Paul and continues to chase Ginny through the camp and into the woods where she comes across the shack. After barricading herself inside, she finds an altar with Pamela Voorhees' severed head on it, surrounded by a pile of bodies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like occult worshipping yeah. energy. Yeah, okay. It's, it's yeah, pretty cool. Right. Realising that Jason Voorhees is the killer... Ginny puts on Pamela's sweater that's still that's at the <laughs> altar and then tries to psychologically convince Jason that she is the mother. So when Jason breaks in with his burlap sack on his head and he's carrying a big yes. axe, she's like, Jason, Welcome well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and, and then there's Sorry. like a really nice effect when, as she's saying it, using like 1981 or 1986 special effects, <laughs> the mum's face is superimposed onto hers. Mm. The ruse briefly works until Jason sees his mother's head on the altar and awakens from the trance. (laughs) Paul suddenly returns and tries to save Ginny, but Jason incapacitates him. Just as Jason is about to kill Paul with a pickaxe, Ginny picks up the machete and slams it down into Jason's shoulder, seemingly killing him. I reckon the number one phrase (laughs) in every single Wikipedia horror entry is seemingly killing him. Seemingly. Paul and Ginny return to the cabin and hear someone outside. Thinking that Jason has followed them, they open the door only to find Terry's dog, Muffin. Just as they sigh in relief, an unmasked Jason bursts through the window from behind and grabs Ginny. This Jason as well, still not not wearing a burlap sack anymore, kind of has like a bubbling, burnt, toxic Avenger sort of face. Oh, okay. But, but... Ginny then awakens from the dream to being loaded into an ambulance and calls out for Paul, who is nowhere to be seen, leaving his fate ambiguous. Back in the shack, Pamela's head remains on the altar, but Jason is nowhere to be found. And again, initially, this was supposed to end with her head coming to life, but then they were like, that's too hokey, so they didn't end it that way. But that's the end of Friday the 13th Part 2, and we still don't have a hockey mask, we still don't have magic powers... They're just slowly laying the like. They're like this is the vegetables of the series. Yeah, look, I, f- I follow, but 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 ha- having said this is the vegetables. What's that great tweet of like if there was a kids cartoon in the nineties called Surf Dracula? Straight away he'd be surfing and biting people through the surf. Whereas if there was a TV series called Surf Dracula, now the first season 
would be eight eight one hour episodes about like buying his first surfboard, <laughs> and then like it would only be like two like the final two minutes of the season finale. He'd just walk towards a beach, and then it would fade out. Um, there's sort of an element where I probably don't accept that there was as much foresight and forethought going on of like we need to build a universe like this isn't doing captain america and then iron man and being like one day we're going to do avengers right yeah like i feel like this is very back of the envelope type yeah. like oh fuck oh should the mum's head come back to life uh, nah look let's not do that oh is he actually a monster with toxic toxic avengers face oh i don't know yeah let's <laughs> make it a dream and we'll talk about it another day you, you know it feels very flying by the seat of your pants type energy and that's and that's in fact a great intro to working through the series because i imagine part of the trouble of working your way slowly into a series of works starring the same character or utilizing the same set of tropes is you're like, oh, hang on, in the first movie we said that you couldn't do that or, you, you know, like boxing yourself in with, with these sorts of things. And I feel if there is a triumph in this film, it's that there's enough vagueness in what we learn in part two to leave the way open for part three. In many ways, it's the Spooko episode 221 of the <laughs> Friday the 13th series. Uh, where do you know it from? Where do you know it from? Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? But it is like it is funny listening back to old Stormzy. Like in Shut Up, he's like, shout out to Wiley. He's the best. Wiley, thanks for being so great. And then like later on through the playlist, it's that awesome Wiley diss track where he's like, you should have like looked after your mum. I've got so much money I want to send her. 